Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes. So before we start, I just want to give my condolences to the Gray family and the people of Minneapolis. Terrible, terrible things have happened and I think are still happening. Hopefully, at some point, we can get past all this crap that's going on and just, you know, as Bill and Ted would say, be awesome to one another. Yeah, same. Condolences to the family. Uh, hopefully, justice is served and everything is rectified oh, the dude's as quickly been, and as peacefully as possible. Dude's been charged with murder and manslaughter, so. <sighs> but anyways, so it is 3 p.m. on a Saturday. There's a delicious smelling stew cooking in the crock pot, so that must mean it's time for gaming sessions and everything under the sun. I am, of course, David, a.k.a. Vincent DB82, and my fearless co-host. Yep. Gerald, a.k.a. Sukinode. Glad to have everybody with us again. Oh, and on another note, um, for, for those who didn't listen to last week's episode because it was six hours long, I uh, went ahead and broke that up into two episodes. So there's two uh, three-hour episodes for last week. So let's uh, kick this thing off. How was your week? Uh, it was all right. I finally got that video done for the channel, so it's post. It's up and posted. So I'm glad that that is that that got finished. It's probably not. It is probably not as good as it as I wanted it to be, but hopefully it's still good. Um, hmm. past that, I've just been working on going back to the normal routine of working on other videos. Um, and it's my weeks have been staying quiet, which I'm glad. Mm. Quiet weeks are a good thing. Did you, did I ask you before what the video was about? I think I did. Uh, yeah, I think you may have. Um, <laughs> it, it was Broly. It was the Broly discussion video. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So for the listeners who don't know, this video has been vexing Gerald for what two weeks now? Yeah, for a good while actually. Um, so, but yeah, about a week, week and a half. I don't know if it was completely two weeks, but it might have been. But yeah, for more than a week, that's for sure. Well, we're definitely glad that's over and done with, and you can take a breath. Mm-hmm. Me too. <laughs> Um, so that's it for your week. Could be it for my week. Now it's on to planning the next video. Mm. Yeah. So for my week, unfortunately, uh, here in the Tar Heel state, air has become hot soup once again. I'm sure, I'm sure you don't miss that about living here. Mm, I'm pretty sure I do not miss that about living anywhere. I'm not a heat. I'm not a summer nor a heat person. I prefer the winter. Indeed. And for those of us who are half Wookiee and pushing 300 pounds, hot soupy air is not fun. 
other than that, eh, it was an all right week. Um, ended up having a five day weekend because I had to take Christy to a doctor's appointment on Tuesday. So I only worked three days this week. So next week's check is going to be bothersome. Uh, let's see what else. Wizards is still offering free stuff to download. So again, if you type uh, D&D free into your favorite search engine, it should pull pull it up or you can go to the wizard site and look up the, the remote D&D hacks and uh, find all that delicious content to uh, partake of if you uh, are of a Dungeons and Dragons bent. Uh, let's see. Destiny wise, the season is over in the next two weeks. The giant ship almighty is bearing down on us poor lowly humans and i actually need to go to the to the tower and look at and look and see this thing because uh one thing that's been really nice about some of the changes that bungie has made is they've made the environment um change kind of like fortnite did so for the Rasputin Tower events, you see the the uh, the Warmind Towers all over the Moon and Io and Earth. I don't re- I don't remember seeing any on Earth, but those are up. And the Cabal Star System Destroyers set to crash into Earth or into the last city, and. Uh, they think they're going to win, but of course they're not because, you know, we're the good guys and we always win because that's how it works. That's how it works. Right. And, uh, at least it's supposed to, at least it's supposed to. Right. Um, yesterday I bought Starpoint Gemini warlords. It was on sale for eight bucks. So I was like, eh, I'll grab that. Um, I was extremely intoxicated last night, so when I was trying to play it, it was making me mad, so I just quit and went to bed. Which is why uh, when you said you're in the Discord channel, I was like, I'm critting the hay, because I would I'd have been like... Yeah. And I'm uh, going to endeavor to not get as drunk as I might normally do today, so... We'll see how that works. <laughs> oh, what is that? Uh, let's wait and see what happens. Laugh there. Uh, no, that's a. I, I feel like that should always be the goal <laughs> to not be as drunk as you, I assume, were that day. Mm, yeah, normally. Uh, but we're going to try that this time. And see how that works. And this dude would just stop so I can put a bullet in his head. I would be happy. Uh, Damn it. Oh, so I am currently trying to finish the Luna's Howl quest. It's a uh, pinnacle uh, elemental hand cannon. So I think this is the last step. I have to get 100 precision hand cannon kills. And it's... Irritating. 
I'm at 52 of 100. So other than that, I think uh, that's good. Uh, we will take a quick break and get started with our reviews. We will be right back after these messages. See you in a minute, everybody. And I promised. All right, there's one. I think Crit may be joining us. I'm not sure. So uh, let's go ahead and rip the Band-Aid off with Tiger King. Just kidding. <laughs> so lock and key. A hell of a start to the episode. We see Lucas is still alive. So uh, I hope you're still holding that phone, Gerald, because you definitely called the fuck out of that shit. Well, no, actually, I think you called. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, no, no, no. Uh, I was thinking when the when we when we saw Lucas before the end of the episode, I was actually thinking you had called it. But yeah, I guess yeah, yeah, yeah. I did call that one, didn't I? It was you because because um, you had said Ellie when Ellie went to the well and called out Lucas. That's when you had the impression that Echo, aka Well Lady, aka Dodge, was actually Lucas. And yeah, boy, right. And I hope Tyler um, <laughs> can come to grips with what he did. <laughs> well, he doesn't know yet, so we'll have to wait and see. So, yes, we find out after the whole Sam Lesser coming back and doing all the lovely, not lovely stuff that he did. Um, Nina pulls out that welcome housewarming bottle of gin and starts back to drinking. And not fun because she was a 12-stepper. And we find out in this episode what had happened previously before she went to AA. She would be all happy, then she would get depressed, and then she would just be bedridden. And evidently in Matheson, um, the town tradition, I guess, when something bad happens is everybody brings you food. Yeah, everybody's trying to be neighborly. So and they yeah. Go ahead. Um, oh no no no! You're fine. I, I was just saying everybody is uh was being neighborly after what happened with Sam. Um, yep. at first I thought when we first see Nina, at first I thought she had forgotten again, and then Tyler started going through his explanation because even I was like, um. Like it was weird how happy she was because she seemed happy. Like it was the happiest we'd ever seen her from the start of this episode, from since we started watching it. It was the right. happiest we've ever seen her. And I was like, wow, that is kind of odd. And then um, uh, Tyler starts explaining that she's done this before where, she, where she's everything is fine. And then she kind of goes through a break and then she kind of like she starts off really happy and then she has like a freak out and then she's just drunk. So apparently this had already happened before. So, yeah. Right. 
And evidently, also, we find out that since she's been partaking, uh, she can remember her time in the mirror space. Yeah, for some reason, it's uh, allowing her to... uh, The alcohol is just allowing her to remember, weirdly enough. Yeah, so I guess... uh, Well, I mean, you know, you get drunk enough and you start acting like a child, right? (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah, maybe that's what it was. And the funny thing about it was, um, like, not in the context of the show, but... What was what was I, I the only way I can say it is the funny thing about it is that when Jackie and Gabe come over, she's talking to them and even they're like, Wow. Right. Like even <laughs> they notice that something is up. And, and they're just like trying, she Whoa. was trying really hard. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so Jackie and Gabe come over, and there's uh, her and Tyler make up, which I guess is good. Maybe she'll be brought into the fray in later episodes. Um, then there's, of course, the you got to have the teen angst moment because Kenzie and Gabe are sitting up in her bedroom doing the the kind of beating around the bush romance talk. Then Scott finally shows up, brings her a pint of ice cream. Then Gabe decides to come downstairs and everything gets awkward. As it it tends to do. Uh, Was that before or after they went into the cave? That after they went into the caves. Right. Um, so, I mean, go ahead and chime in if you want to start, if you want to add some stuff. Well, no, continue your thought. I was confirming because you asked, but continue your thought. Right. So, Kinsey tells Tyler about <clears throat> the Omega door. And um, so I'm trying to get my thoughts in line. But and he's like, Well, take me down there and show me. And she's like, Well, we almost died last time. And then Tyler holds up his phone and it shows the tide. And he's like, Well, low tide's at 215, so we'll go then. They go, they see the Omega door, it's humming or thrumming or vibrating. Tyler turns around and sees scratched into the stone the keeper of the keys including all Brendel and all his friends. Now here's the, and I'm, I'm probably going to start jumping around again. Here's the interesting thing. Um, well, I'll get to that. So Dodge shows up at the, uh, at the mental hospital, goes, uses the head key, goes into boss, boss's head. And, she made he she whatever made the uh, the kind of pithy remark when she put the head key in and turned it, and it was the door to Matheson Academy. She was like, "Oh, well, you certainly peaked in high school." And I'm thinking, "Well, she's committed. I mean, what is she supposed to do?" Now, do we know when she was committed? Was she committed as a teenager? 
Uh, as far as we know, yes, it was. She was basically. Well, they they bring up the fact that there was the story about the woman who who went to Key House and then went crazy. Right. So, I'm assuming it happened after the incident in the cave. Um. But it is possible that maybe it happened later on as an adult. Maybe she went back to the house for something and was looking for something and then went crazy. It's it's honestly not made clear exactly what happened. Right. Because once you get to once you get closer to the end of the episode and you see what happens between her and Dodge, then you kind of are wondering, well, how did she end up? You're really trying to figure out how did she end up the way she ended up. So, and I don't know, it, it's weird and it feels like she's the way she is because someone did it to her. So it could be because Dodge made an interesting point when she put the head key in and turned it and the door showed up, she was like, where's your other half? And we find out that her other half has been locked inside her head. I guess yeah. the entire time. And Dodge finds out where the Omega key is hidden. We'll get to that. Um, and it was interesting when uh, Kinsey showed up. They literally like crossed each other. Like Dodge used the Anywhere key to go back to Ellie's house. And Kinsey opened the door to walk into Voss's room. And they like, like you see them like go through the door frame, but both disappear. Well, she, um, Dodge disappears. Kinsey goes through into the, into the room. And mm. here's where I'm going to come to that interesting point. So Kinsey is trying to talk to Voss, gets the, the picture of all of them as kids, all the friends together as kids. And she's like, I'm Rendell's, you know, pointing at Rendell, I'm Rendell's daughter. And uh, you can see Voss clearly trying to struggle to say something. So Kinsey just starts pointing at all of the friends. And when she gets to Lucas, that's when you see Voss just like really start bulging her eyes and everything. Yeah. And Kinsey makes the point to say, Lucas, yeah, that was my dad's best friend. And then she's going to put the picture back, and that's when uh, Voss is finally able to say Dodge. And that's when Kinsey finds out Lucas's Dodge. Yeah. And rushes back to the house. So going back more we get to see what that cabinet does that Bodie put himself in. But he didn't shut the door all the way, did he? He just kind of closed it just a little almost shut when he found the key for it. Oh, for the cabinet? Yeah. yeah. He, well, he left the key in the cabinet because of what was going on with Sam. So I don't think that key was ever discovered by Dodge or Sam. It had been in the cabinet since that happened. 
And then his mom comes across it and we get to the scene where she figures out what it does, because that was the key that they found that they didn't know what it did. Right. So she, so she's walking through the study. She has that flashback of being in the mirror space, drops her mug that Rendell gave her and breaks it. And she panics, freaks out, grabs up all the pieces and puts them in the cabinet. So we find out that the cabinet fixes broken things. Um, yes. So um, she... Go ahead. No, continue. No, no. Continue. She, she, takes, uh, she takes Sally, Kinsey's stuffed whale, and it's ripped up, I guess, from the whole incident. She puts it in there, closes the door, turns the key, and it's put back together. At this point, Tyler and Kinsey are talking about how, well, Tyler's telling Kinsey how he smelled spearmint on their mom's breath, and she knows what that means, I guess, because back in, back in the day when, her mom, when their mom was an alcoholic, I guess she used spearmint mouthwash to try and mask the smell of it, but that's not really how it works, because the smell comes from, you know, I guess stomach mixed in with the the long breath and all that it's it's really scientific really i mean um, (laughs) (laughs) right but uh so they're talking about it and uh nina takes a book rips it in three pieces puts it in the cabinet closes turns key opens it back up it's fixed and she's running up the stairs to show Tyler and Kinsey, what this cabinet does, and that's when she overhears them talking about her, them knowing that she's drinking again, and she loses all her, loses all her steam and goes back downstairs. Then she gets a wild idea to put Rendell's urn in the cabinet. Yeah, she, she is absolutely basically losing her shit at this point like right now let me rewind sorry go ahead oh no you're fine um the whole thing with sam like really 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 shook her up like and and i thought it should which is why it made it which is why i thought she lost her memory because of the way she was acting because this is the first time we'd seen her act like that then of course we get the explanation for what's really going on that's literally how she handles her trauma she she basically goes through like the phases of like denial acceptance bargaining like that kind of thing so yeah, the, the it's denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Yeah. So she apparently goes through denial first. Then she goes through, I want to say depression. And then she, uh, until she gets to acceptance. So she goes denial, depression, and then like acceptance. Um, Seems it, it like seems that. to be her trend. For, well, from what Ta- well, from what Tyler said, that's what it sounds like. Because he says she starts off like that, then she starts drinking again. Like she freaks out and starts drinking heavily again. Um, well, no, he was he was describing what happened while she was being an alcoholic. Like she got she was all happy, bubbly, and excited. Then she got depressed, and then 
she just kind of shut down. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah, but you know, I, I get what you're trying to say using the using the dab to scale, but yeah, something like that. Yeah. And uh, so going back again to when Dodge was in Voss's head, she finds, I guess, Voss's memories are stored in uh, cassette tape cases, like the clamshell cassette tape cases. Mm-hmm. And she finds the memory where Rendell, she's talking with Rendell and they're holding the Omega key. Now, I didn't really see um, that I had thought that she had the key in her head, and that's why her other self was still in there guarding it. But I was incorrect. I had that thought as well. Um, because they, because when they first show you the scene, they don't explain it. They just show her right. watching him hold up the Omega key next to the head key. Right? right. And when he held it up, at first, I also thought, until that moment, I thought that it was in her head, too. Or at least where it was was in her head, you know. And then where it was, it only where it was was in her head. And when I saw that scene, I was like, oh, they put it in Rendell's head. Well, Rendell died. So what does that mean for the key? Right. So we come back to Nina putting the urn into the cabinet and at this also at this point Kinsey and Tyler are coming back downstairs um Nina puts the urn in turns the key immediately gets sick so she runs into the bathroom and and is retching into the sink gets some water you know drinks a little bit to clear her mouth out and they all meet I guess in the study she opens the door, she loses her shit again, opens the door, picks up the urn and throws it on the ground, breaking it. And then Tyler's like, don't worry, I'll get it. So she just like, you know, kind of brushes him off and, and runs off. Oh, no, 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 no. Kinsey was coming back from the mental institution and Tyler was coming downstairs. So they all, yeah. they all meet. And that's when Kinsey tells Tyler that Dodge is Lucas. No. You sure? Because that was the end of it. Tyler, I'm pretty sure, doesn't know yet. Hmm. Okay. Because almost because the end of the episode was when Kenzie found out. And no. then after Kinsey finds out, they go to Dodge and Dodge turning into Lucas and Lucas talking to Ellie and telling Ellie he, that he found out where the Omega key was, that it was inside Rendell's head. That was the end of the episode. So Tyler still doesn't know yet. Mm. Well, rip Tyler when he finds out. <laughs> so, so they're talking... You know, that she went to see Voss and that whatever they had said, because from what I remember, she had told Tyler that Dodge was Lucas. But we'll we'll go ahead and push that to the side for now. 
Well, I could be wrong, but I remember that being the end of the episode. But they did also find, but they did find the Omega key, so maybe I missed something. Right. So they're talking, and maybe what happened when Rendell was huh. cremated, everything was turned into ash. But when Nina put Rendell's ashes into the cabinet and turned the key, that brought the Omega key back, and it ended up being in the ashes. That was the end of the episode where Tyler picks up the Omega key. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, when Tyler picked up the Omega key. Kinsey and Tyler are looking at it. So, yeah, you're you're rightish about that. So, Mm. we finally see when Dodge goes back to Ellie's house and uses the appearance key to change back into Lucas. And he grabs one of Rufus's G.I. Joe's and breaks it in half for whatever reason. I guess he's an asshole. And then he then he tells Ellie he knows where the Omega key is. So I'm I'm wondering, well maybe that's what it was when Ellie first came over and they found the downstairs lounge. Maybe she was looking for the Omega key because she didn't know where it was. And it's been a, I get maybe it was and okay tinfoil hat time. Make sure it's adjusted tightly to your head. Mm. Maybe, maybe Ellie and Lucas have been behind this thing the whole time, trying to find the Omega key since they were teenagers. They might have been. I don't know if they were in on it. I don't know if they were both in on it. Because Ellie did not seem comfortable with having Lucas there, but she also didn't seem like she did it by choice. Mm, yeah, could be. I still also want to know why Ellie was at Joe's house when he was, quote-unquote, suicided. Yeah. I, like, honestly, the first thought is that she's the one who killed him, but maybe it was Lucas, and she had gone there to talk to Joe as well. And she got there after he had already been murdered. Maybe. So, yeah. So we finally have the Omega key. I wonder if we're going to find out this season what's behind that door or if it's going to be like a lost thing where it takes, what was it, 10 years mm-hmm. to find out? I mean, I, I haven't, I'm one of the, probably one of the few people who hasn't actually watched Lost but I've heard a lot of the tropes about it. I only watched some of it. I fell off of it. I actually fell out of watching it before it tanked, like back before anyone (laughs) back when it first started, when everybody was like, Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Like, I think I stopped watching it before halfway through the first season. Um, Hmm. Which, if I'm remembering correctly, is around the time it's you. It's either by, uh, around the end of the first season or somewhere in the middle of the second season. That's when everything starts falling apart. Hmm. Right. So, you know, hopefully, we'll find out what's going on with this Omega door. Maybe behind the door is the source of the magic of the keys. We don't know just yet, but maybe we'll find out. So, your thoughts. 
Um, it was kind of a it was kind of a slow episode, but it was suspenseful. Um, I am wondering, did Dodge always have the like? Did Lucas always have the change key with him? Like, where did he get the change? Or did they pick up the? Ch- I don't remember them ever picking up the change key. So did Dodge ha- always have it? Well, we can so, only assume because the only mention we get of it is one of uh, Duncan's memories from the paint jars. Remember when uh, when the Asian guy uses it and turns himself into uh, into a into a chomo. Yeah. That's the only, at least that I can remember, that's the only reference to the change key that we've gotten up until we actually see Lucas using it. Which is where you had also called it that Dodge is probably Lucas. Yeah. Mm. But, you've, but, but you've slept since then, so it's okay. Yeah. Um, but, uh, for me, it was kind of a slow episode. Um, I don't want to think too much into the whole scene where Dodge and Kenzie go through the same door because Dodge was using the anywhere key. I want to say they just did that because it was a cool effect. So it was a cool, it was a cool visual thing for the audience to see. Um, I don't know if it's going to have any other implications down the road or whatnot. Um, Hopefully we'll get to see what's behind the Omega door. The what gets what I am wondering is what is Lucas gonna do now that he thinks that the Omega key was destroyed though? Because Rindle is dead. I don't know if Lucas knows right. that his body was cremated. But Rendell is dead, and if the Omega key was inside his head, that means the Omega key is gone. Even if he hadn't been cremated, he's dead, so you can't use the head key on him to go into his mind to get it. So it's he's dead. It's of. gone. Well, I would assume that they had. I would assume you would have to be alive. Uh, I know one of the things I thought when she put his ashes in the cabinet and tried to bring him back, I was like, okay, now we'll get to see if there are any actual limits to the power of these keys. And (laughs) honestly, they make it ambiguous because she sees Mm -hmm. a shadow like Rendell walking through the house. So it is actually because Nothing has stated that the cabinet with the the key for the cabinet has to bring whatever it's bringing back using the materials given to it. We've just seen that that's what it does. Like these were all broken things that it could easily fit back together. But if it can bring a person back, maybe, especially one that's been turned into ashes, it may not be able to use the ashes and just return the ashes back. Because when you burn something, you lose so much. It's not like when you burn something, the ashes weren't all that was in the what you burned, right? So maybe it didn't use the ashes to bring him back. So I don't know. It, 
it 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 does it doesn't make it clear if she's hallucinating because she want because first off she's drunk and second of all she wants so much okay we're back sorry about that folks technical difficulties once again so you were talking about uh Nina putting the urn in and what you were yeah, thinking and the, that. Uh, I was uh it seemed that uh when Nina put the urn in, I was thinking this is a good time to see just how powerful the keys are and what the limits of their abilities are and right. whether they actually bring Rendell back or not is actually left kind of ambiguous because it's not clear if she's hallucinating or if she really did see someone who looked a lot like Rendell walking through the house after she put the urn in the cabinet. Right. That was, uh, that was Tyler walking in because he was wearing Rendell's jacket. And then even when he walks in front of a mirror, Rendell's reflection is his reflection instead. Oh, is it? Okay, I missed that part then. Because to me, it looked like he was walking in a completely opposite direction. It, it looked like she was going from room to room, like, catching the shadow. And then he just, he came out of a different, like, she saw the shadow, like, go behind stairs. And then Tyler came out, like, the kitchen. So the way, so maybe it's just me, but the way they shot it, made it seem like it wasn't Tyler. Like Tyler was like, no, I just got home, which is which was true. But the way they shot it, to me, it made it seem like actually it wasn't Tyler. And it was ambiguous whether she was hallucinating, seeing things, or if someone else actually was walking through the walking through the house. So I don't know. I, I missed that part with the mirror then. I, I completely missed that part. All right. Shall we try this again? I'm trying it on my regular phone this time. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So, yeah, you were saying that the magic seemed to be ambiguous and it looked like Tyler walking in. I saw Rendell's reflection in the mirror when Tyler walked past the mirror because he was wearing Rendell's jacket. Mm-hmm. Uh, and- yeah, I didn't the mirror part, I completely missed that. Yeah, well, you know, you're allowed. But yeah, so so continue with what you were saying because you're giving your thoughts. Well, right. I, I was just saying that since I missed the mirror portion, it very much seemed like there was someone else walking through the house. And even though Tyler did just get home, it seemed like he was coming from a different direction than when she was following the the shadowy form. So I I I, I will uh will go with just that it was nothing and it was just Tyler because uh and then we'll see where the story goes. So we at least know that the keys cannot defy like one of the natural rules of the universe. The dead are dead can't, can't un- come back. You can't <laughs> undead someone. Yeah. 
So they're not. So while they are powerful, they're not that powerful. Okay. So other than that, it was like a pretty slow episode. Gabe and Kenzie are doing their little thing. Scott came to kiss and make up, and now there's like a love triangle between those three. Jackie and Tyler uh, made up. Made up. Uh, Nina and Ellie made up. Um, For now. I feel like there's something going on with Rufus. I feel like, especially with all this talk of the head key, like I keep thinking that maybe like Rufus just isn't like Ellie's isn't just Ellie's adopted son. I feel like that's a cover story. Um mm, well, considering he's 100% white and she's part black. Well, no, I don't think that he's her real son. I I think that her adopting him is the cover story. And that Rufus was someone more important in the past to the group of friends. And that oh. his current mental state may be the result of the head key as well, just like uh, the chick in the Boss. mental hospital. Yeah, just like Voss. But oh. instead, of, she point. became a vegetable, but maybe like with, uh, is it Duncan, the brother? Yeah. Uh, maybe like with Duncan a bunch of stuff in his head maybe got taken out. Interesting. Um, I hadn't thought of that, actually. So that's an interesting theory. And there were two pictures that they they did a close-up of, and Rufus was in one with Ellie. Um, so are these the pictures in Nina's room you're talking about? Were they pictures in Nina's room? Because that's... It was uh, pictures that Joe had that the detective uh, brought back to Nina since the case was closed. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And Kenzie had made the point that their mom wrote down that Voss was in a mental hospital. That's why Kenzie went to go see her. Okay. But yeah, so yeah, so that all seemed kind of hmm. All it all seemed kind of suspect. Some shady fucking vibes going on. But yeah, but besides that, um, I'm the show is still fine. Um, I I will admit I'm kind of I'm kind of getting impatient for them to go ahead and get <laughs> to the point. Like, <laughs> like I'm I'm like, can we just? get to where like we all know this is about the omega door we all know that you this mystery about what behind what's behind the omega door is the thing that's keeping us here but can we get to it like i really don't feel like spending another two to three episodes with in suspense of what's behind the omega door and is Lucas going to be able to get the Omega key back from Tyler and Kenzie? Why would Lucas even think if the Omega key was destroyed upon Rendell's death, why would Lucas even think he could get it back? Mm, plot holes. But like, I, I mean, and, and that's the thing. The way Lucas goes, 
the Omega key was hidden in Rindle's head when he's talking to Ellie and telling her about it. It's like, I mm-hmm. figured it out. I know where it is. And the way he says it, he's, it's like, now I can go get it. And I'm sitting here like, how? <laughs> like, have they tried bringing somebody back from the dead who had a key inside their head before? Why would he think that the, the fact that they got the Omega key, the, uh, that Tyler and Kenzie got the Omega key back was a freak accident of luck, right? Plot armor. Uh, yeah. So it should have, I expected Lucas to be frustrated and angry because now the key was gone forever. So, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's another key that does bring people back from the dead. Maybe the the skull key, you can take a dead person through the other way and get their soul back or something. Yeah, but that wouldn't bring the Omega key back. It's not about a soul. It, the physical key has been destroyed. Like, can, can keys now become... Like, that? that is... That has the uh, implication that the keys can be ghosts. And Mm. if that's the case, now we have to completely rethink the nature of these keys. Because they're not just magical at that point if they have souls. Uh, Yeah. That also might explain why the way they're found is through whispers. What if the keys are made out of human souls? Ooh, this just got way darker. (laughs) (laughs) well evan did say it was supposed to be a horror story they did that that might explain why the keys whisper because they're the they're the they're the muted voices of the souls that were used to make them and maybe that's why the omega door you can just hear hundreds of whispers thousands of whispers maybe what's behind the omega door is how to make the keys and a supply of souls to do so. Hmm. So what was uh, the ghost in the graveyard that Bodie talked to? What was his name? Uh, I forget his name, but it was like his great, great grandpa. Yeah. Maybe he knows something. Maybe he's behind it. Maybe that's why he's still here. Punishment for setting all that shit up. Well, he says he decided to stay, though, because he mm. could have moved on like everyone else, but he chose to stay. That's what he specifically said. Mm. So that's all we really have to go on when it comes to him. Like, he right. didn't seem malevolent, but then again, they never do at first. <laughs> right? So, <laughs> Kind of like, like with Dodge and Sam. And that's another thing. How did how did Dodge appear to Sam in that etching of Keyhouse in Rendell's office? Well, that's what I was saying in the last episode. I was saying they better explain that because otherwise there's no explanation for that. Because unless hmm. Lucas somehow had keys still on him slash her while they were in the well which doesn't make any sense 
because it seems like Lucas was imprisoned down there. And if that's the case, why would they allow him to keep keys? Mm. Good point. Good point. So that's and why I was how like, how did he get imprisoned down there? Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I hope these aren't plot holes and they actually explain them. But I think we have like two episodes left. So I get the feeling we're not going to get an explanation. At least not this season. Because it does say when you pull up Locking Key that a second season is confirmed to be coming. Okay. I don't know if I want to go through a second season of this, though. I mean, it's a fine show, and I understand why people like it, and I think it's well done. But I just, I don't know. It, it, it's not, it is not keeping is it, me interested. Is it becoming Durarara? No, 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 no. It's not becoming Durarara. Durarara, the reason I was losing my patience with Durarara is because it felt like the storyline was all over the place. And it felt like they were trying to take all of these individual storylines and then weave them together but they were sort of like pulp fiction but they are Mm -hmm. not pulp fiction they if they were trying to do a sort of pulp fiction like several different storylines all tied together they should have watched pulp fiction like every act like every like they should have watched Pulp Fiction on, yeah, on repeat for weeks on end until they got it down because they were not doing it right. Um, Wasn't it me that brought up the Pulp Fiction thing and you were like, no, 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 no. That ain't Pulp Fiction. Yeah, you did bring up Pulp Fiction. And yeah, I was like, oh, no, this is not comparable to Pulp Fiction. Not <laughs> not even a little bit. Um <laughs> Because, yeah, like, if they were going with Pulp Fiction, they did not do it right. Um, But, um... Hmm. Trying to think. But, no, it's not that it's a bad show. It's not that it's a bad show. I think it's just not a show for me. Like, honestly, if we weren't Mm. reviewing it, I probably would have stopped after, like, the third episode. (laughs) Like, because Bodie just kept doing stupid shit and what and hadn't died yet. I am honestly getting tired of that little shit surviving. Like that's <laughs> like I swear Bodie is almost the physical manifestation of uh auto combos in Dragon Ball Fighters. And I've talked about this before, how <laughs> Dragon Ball Fighters button mashers with the auto combos because they track. So you so even if you miss with an auto combo, it'll just turn itself around and hit you anyway. And you get you basically uh, a person who misses their attacks and makes the wrong decision gets rewarded anyway. And that's kind of what Bodhi seems to be. He's literally doing (laughs) the most dangerous things he can do. And he's just being rewarded for it. And I'm like, no, nature says you die before your next birthday. I don't give a fuck what this show says. (laughs) I can just imagine death hovering over the house. Like, is it going to happen today? Is it going to happen today? Well, no, death is like, I said... 
Death set up this elaborate trap and was like, oh, he's about to step into it. Oh, he's about, and then he, and then it just, and then Bodhi will just stop and turn in the other direction. And Death is just like, what the fuck, man? Do you know how long it took me to build that Death Trap? How dare you? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's like Final Destination. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, but yeah, no, no, no. There, the the show is perfectly fine, and I absolutely understand why someone would enjoy the show. It's just, I just don't think it's my kind of show because it's not keeping my interest. Mm. I'm, I'm enjoying it. The, uh, the teen angst thing. I understand they're teenagers, but like, I'm, I'm here for the, for the magic and, and all the craziness, not the teen angst. I don't need that, but you know, I guess that's neither here nor there. And the heroes always have to be teenagers. <sighs> so, final thoughts. Uh, I mean, we actually, good. Oh, I was just going to say um, it's still a good show. Um, unfortunately, I am just losing interest. So, we're going to finish out this season and then. When season two comes along, we, if you want to cover it, we'll cover it. But if we cover it, I'm going to say I would like to just watch it all the way through. And then we just do a podcast of what we think of the second season rather than do it episode by episode. Um, Because I just. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. I don't think I can sit through another season of this episode by episode. It just, it just doesn't keep me interested enough. I, I find myself being bored. <laughs> Alrighty. So if you're listening, show writers, um, get good scrubs. <laughs> well, no, they, they're good writers for, for the audience that this is made for. I'm just not one of the people in that audience. Like right, you can't, gotcha. yeah, you can't please everybody all of the time, but you can please some people some of the time, and that's basically Most what's happening. Yeah. yeah, I got gotcha. you. So, good final thoughts. I'm, I'm still enjoying it. Um, I guess that says something about me. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, I can, uh, I can get behind just watching it all and then doing a review of the second season. Um, so we shall take a break and then talk about no game, no life. That was an interesting two episodes. It was. We'll see what, uh, we'll see what we have to say about that after the break. We'll be right back. Yep. See you in a moment, everybody. Are we back? Yes, we are. There we go. Yes. Okay. I uh, tried using the other phone again, and it uh, it's kind of sucking. So, <sighs> welcome back, everybody. Uh, no game, no life. 
how how much can I say I really like this anime and not just for the fan service? Yeah, I I honestly really enjoy it too. Like, and this episode only reaffirmed or reinforced the fact of just how beautiful this anime is. Like, it's really visually pretty. And the way that they use the colors and stuff, really, mm. it's... Yeah. Let's but, not forget the titties. The titties are always welcome. There will never be a time <laughs> when titties are not welcome. Like, that's, that's... Like, we're men. That's just the nature of the beast. <laughs> right. So, the last episode from we see Hello, as I know it as. And Sora gets up and says he's got to go finish something and then just kind of disappears. So we start this episode with Shiro waking up, kind of panicking because she doesn't know where Sora is. And so I'm, I'm probably going to kind of jump all around for this one. So, you know, if you want to pick mm-hmm. up the pieces afterwards. Uh, so she's well, kind of panicking. Go ahead and get all your thoughts, and then I will give my thoughts. <laughs> so she's panicking. She Was it Jabril she found first, or was it Stephanie? Um, I believe Stephanie first. Yeah, Stephanie came in, asked what was wrong, and she asked where's her like like Shiro is like legit freaked out cuz she's got memories of Sora but no Sora around and Stephanie's not really helping so she runs out the bedroom and is uh searching the castle for Shiro then Jabril shows up and um she asked Jabril uh, who her masters were, and she and Jabril was like, "Well, it's just you, mistress." And she's like, "Well, who won the game that made you, you know, our servant?" And she was like, "Well, that was you." And who uh, who forced Stephanie, or who made Stephanie fall in love with Sora? And that was you. So then Jabril suggests to play well, a game. Go ahead. Uh, but it, quick interruption. It, it, she asked who did, uh, Shiro asked Jabril who uh, did Steph fall in love with? And she said it was Shiro. Mm, and that's when Shiro starts motorboating and grabbing <laughs> Stephanie's tits. <laughs> no, that's after that. That's after she fig- after that's that that you skipped a couple of steps. But go go ahead, and then I'll I'll go over it. <laughs> right. So <laughs> there, uh, Shiro convinces them that something's wrong, and Shiro has. Jabril detect magic and she does detect magic but 
she can't tell from where. So Stephanie, as I guess per the norm, uh, she starts walking down the steps of the was it, it was still in the bedroom, right? Mm-hmm. And she trips over something, and then there's three reversi pieces. And Jabril says, "Well, that's those are elven words on that." And then Shiro just like goes into overdrive trying to collect her thoughts like we usually do and finds where a, a memory where Sora was saying he needs to finish or find this thing before they can take on the Eastern Federation and then goes up through the memories and that's when she realizes <clears throat> or no it, was, it wasn't just that it was their memory of Shiro was gone and the memory of the last day and a half was gone. But well, Shiro still remember. remembered. No, the memory of Sora was gone. But they couldn't remember the last day and a half either. Well, you're not wrong. You, you said uh, the memory of Shiro was gone. Yeah, from Stephanie and Jabril, but Shiro still had those three reversi pieces worth of his memory. <clears throat> no. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Shiro is the, the little sister. Sora is the older brother. Am I saying it wrong? Yeah, you, you're, you're getting the names reversed. <laughs> you're, you're basically referring to both of them as Shiro. <laughs> okay, so Shiro still has those three reversi pieces of Sora's memory. Correct. Is that better? Okay. <clears throat> so she takes so she's going through her thoughts and she she plays out the reversi game in her head of how she would have how she knows Sora would play it. So she takes the last three pieces, plays them one at a time, and then the bubble of magic breaks like it's reversi like holes of like reversi pieces just break and then the whole thing shatters. And then Sora comes back comes back from non existence, like <gasps> and uh <laughs> so then <clears throat> because they won, he makes his three um he makes his three rules. All memories. Oh, let me let me uh, go back because I'm getting for I'm getting ahead. So the game of a of a fellow that they're playing. Each piece has elven magic that is tied to their memories and their existence, which this was the only way that they by using the <sighs> brains oh, working. Take your time. Yeah, brains working faster than off can move. So when Sora challenged the Eastern Federation with their race piece, that's what brought Kurumi and her elf to them. And Sora challenged them to a game to where if Sora wins, Kurumi and Phil, F-I-L, Phil the elf will work with them as spies. 
Now, the, the pieces are imbued with elven magic that would, um, with their memories and their very existence. So it was at the point where, and Sora set it up to where Kurami would think she was going to win. So when she played the piece that took him out, you know, Shiro, Stephanie, and Jabril forgot about him and they just kind of went on. And at that point, Karami was like, well, did we win? And Phil was like, well, evidently we didn't because we're still in the game. Because whenever Shiro and Sora play, it's the both of them playing as one person. So when... Shiro finally wins the game and Sora comes back, he lays down his three edicts. The first was that they get to keep each other's memories. So any memories Karami has that Sora won, he keeps. Same with Karami, but they get their memories back. And that's when Karami came back to life. And then the second one was that he could alter... Phil's memories as he sees fit, and I can't remember what the third one was. It was only two. It was only two? Okay. It was only the two. And then after that, both Phil and Karami and Sora and Shiro had like a good two-minute long crying hug it out. I'm sorry, I'll never do this again. I'm sorry. And, and like just all the it – was, it was funny. Like the like all that being serious, and then you know, like you see all four of their mouths open at the at the same time, and then just they're all crying and hugging and everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Stephanie's like, I I don't know what's going on here. What is going on? <laughs> so now that we have Karami on our side we get to have the small tit jokes. We do. Which is evident uh, when Sora takes them all to a building and Karami is immediately, immediately says, I'm not taking a bath with you. And Sora falls down. And then he has Jabril give a 30-minute lecture on why it's good to take baths together. Right. And <laughs> and even after that, then Phil is like, don't worry, I'll save you the trouble. We don't want to do that. And then Sora's like, well, you know, that's okay. I mean, I understand you, could, you have a small chest size and then Karami gets irritated and it's like and, and you wear a padded bra so and then she's like all right fine i'll do it and so we get to have our hot springs episode yay for hot springs episodes but it was a brief one so um and so this is jabril's shampoo right that has the tentacles uh i think so yes yeah which uh just kind of gets my kink up for Jabril that much more. <laughs> Jabril is pretty great. Like she can <laughs> like she can be she's it's 
you want to say that she's homicidal, but you really can't say that because it's literally just the way she is and the way the world around them needed her to be. Like, she doesn't, like, when Jabril kills, she doesn't really do it out of malice. She does it because that's just what she is. And um, in fact, she even called herself a, a living weapon, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's not forget the, uh, so when they're, when they're having their intimate moment at the round table, um, that's when we find out that Jabril like wiped out an entire elven village because they put up a, a no flying barrier and it pissed her off. <laughs> yeah. And knocked her out of the sky. Now the thing about that scene is Phil was all indignant and angry, but also remember this was at the time of the literal world war that was going on. And they and even Jabril says, I would not even have noticed you if you hadn't put up the anti flying barrier, which literally knocked me out of the sky. And then I bumped my head. So, yeah, I got kind of <laughs> peeved and destroyed you all. I mean, we were at war. <laughs> like, it, like, I'm not saying that Jabril is in the right, but I'm also saying that it's stupid for for them to paint Phil as if she's the uh, as if she's the um, what's the word? The victim? what party? No, the the offended party. Like she's hmm. the offended party when they were at war at the time. You can. It is absolutely a fact that the elves have done just as bad or worse during that war. All of the races did. So for right. her, and and I get it, because it's like, well, you, you killed friends and family and things like that, but that's one of the things that Tet is trying to get them to understand without just outright telling them, because they're, everyone's in a state of mind where if you just told them, they just they would just brush it off in one ear, right out the other. He's trying to get them to figure out what he like. Tet has an overall plan for what he wants to happen with the races, and he everything he set up, all the rules and the way he set up the world is to get them to understand his vision. And nobody is getting it except Sora and Shiro. Which is why in the last two episodes, they were like, you guys really haven't figured out how to beat this game. No wonder God is bored. And she was just like, poor Ted. And I'm like, <laughs> why is this show such a good allegory for the current state of the world? Hmm. <laughs> like, why? <laughs> like, could you, could you like, imagine? Continue. Could you imagine if... Tet was the ruler of this planet and we'd we be couldn't... in the exact same situation <laughs> that's why i say it's such a good representation of exactly how our current status quo is and anyone who thinks that all the different nations and governments are at peace they're not <laughs> they're just doing all their dirty shit where you can't see it i mean 
Hell, some of them are doing it where you can see it. Look at what China's been up to lately. We've mm. talked about that in previous uh, podcasts. In fact, we had the an entire segment. Yeah, the governments of the world are in a forced truce because of nuclear weapons. And the simple fact that whoever pushes that button first is going to end humanity. It is mutually assured destruction. So what are the governments doing? They're doing little cat paw things behind the scenes. Like and China own and proxy wars. Like that's what's really going on. The world is only at peace on the surface. Hmm. And that's literally what's going on in this world. Tet's rules put the world at peace on the surface, but everyone else is, but all of the races are still treating it like they're still in the war. They're <laughs> just, they're just different rules they have to play by. Right. And, uh, oh, what was I going to say? I thought I had a good thought. Right, take uh, your time. Dang it, why can't I think of it? <clears throat> I'm not even drunk right now. Well, this is why we take notes. <laughs> mm, right. I got a steno pad at the Dollar Tree today, too, so I can do that. But uh, so, yeah. So so we're, we're at the bath scene. Um, Jabril's tentacly shampoo is going all over the place. No. Uh, everybody's got suds. I think Shiro took some suds and tried to make suds breasts. Yeah, like there a... was a scene where she was doing that. Yeah, <laughs> and then then uh, Kurumi is out of her clothes, and Stephanie's like, "I don't know why you were complaining. You're very shapely." And that's when uh, Sora's like, yeah, but the elf is using magic. <laughs> and then she the gets elf is indeed using magic. And she is well endowed in her magic, too, if you know what I mean. Actually, that's something I noticed about Phil. Like I, I, I kept note, I kept like noticing it out of the corner of my eye, but not recognizing it. And then I actually took a look at how Phil is dressed. She's got some serious underboob in her outfit. Like mm. the stomach and the bottom part of her breast is actually cut out. Mm -hmm. I was like, wait, what? Yep. But but continue, continue. And when and then we'll get into my thoughts. Yeah, so uh so her hopes and her titties deflated as uh <laughs> As Phil took the spell off. And, uh, of course, Sora, I guess, being the gentleman he is, is hiding behind the screen. But being the perv he is, um, he's got a, like a tablet and Jabril is like halfway sticking halfway out of the, the screen divider with a, with the phone, I guess, taking footage. <laughs> of them bathing. Yeah. And uh, Sora says, well, like, could you turn me into a girl? And Phil is like, I could, but it would be permanent. 
<laughs> yeah, he's like, aww. He's like, at some point, I'm going to want to have sex with my male organ, so that's not going to work. Right. Uh, so then that's over, and was that the end of the first episode? Um. Yeah, I believe that was the end of the first episode. I I just watched them together, and so I'm just critiquing them together as one full thing. I right. didn't split them up in the episodes, at least in my notes and whatnot. Right. So then, um, Kurami is looking for Sora. He finds, or she finds him in the King's secret information room. Give me a second. Um, I really don't like this shortness of breath problem I've been having. Woosah. Okay, so Sora's looking at the tablet, and we see uh, Shiro like nose deep in the in the king's writings. And then she's like, "What are you doing?" And <laughs> Sora's like, "I'm just reviewing the bathhouse footage." And she's getting all irritated because it doesn't seem like he's taking the uh, fight with the Eastern Federation seriously. But he says, you know, he he explains. Oh, the question I had, Phil and Karami, are they a couple? Don't know. That's also something I was going to address, but I can talk. We'll we'll go ahead and talk about it a little bit. Um, I do not know if they're a couple. I feel like they are a couple in the same way Sora and Shiro are a couple. They're codependent. Yeah, at least it's... I don't think it's that they're (laughs) codependent because Sora and Shiro are sister and brother Mm -hmm. and they only trust each other, really. Right? Right. They... they 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 were in a world where Shiro because they go over Shiro's backstory and she was basically a science experiment and then she was finally allowed to actually meet her parents for like the first time when she was like three or four years old that was the when she was three or four was the first time she'd ever met her parents and then she meets her brother who apparently has been dealing with his own form of isolation and the fact that he always acted and said the things that everyone around him wanted him to do. He made himself into a different person to please everyone around him, but he didn't mean any of it and smiles were fake. And she points that out. And when she points that out to him, he realizes he found, because no one else had, no one else even noticed as it, it, there are a lot of concepts that are brought up in these episodes that I thought, right. once again, this is one of the reasons I really like this show. No matter how much anyone downs on it, this is one of the reasons I really like this show is because it brings all of these really interesting concepts. And it doesn't seem like it is at first because it's doing all this wacky fan service shit. And so you mm-hmm. don't notice it until you really look at the situation. So you have Sora who's basically been, been been pretending to be a completely different person to please everyone around him and no one around him gave enough of a crap to notice that no one else cared enough to go Sora 
you smile all the time and you act like you're happy, but you don't, it, it feels like you're really not. Are you okay? No, as mm. long as he was saying the right <clears throat> things and not being a problem and he was smiling, everyone was fine to be like, oh, he's a perfectly happy child. Nothing wrong there. But the mm. moment Shiro sees him, because she's a genius, she, it, like, I like to think she took what she saw in other people, applied the template to Sora, and realized that something was off, which is why she was like, no, your smile is fake. You're just like the rest of them. And then when Sora realized she could see through him, that's when he was like, that's my little sister. And then hmm. she realized, and then she got something from it as well. Because when they're like, because that's why they did everything in black and white. But when they look into each other's eyes, like when she points out that his his smiles are fake, his eyes get color. And then when he looks into her eyes, her eyes get color. And then the whole world gets color. And And that's a very important thing in the show. Because it is the start of their connection and their trust and friendship and brotherly and sisterly love for each other. And so with Karumi and Phil, it's kind of the same thing, except for Phil is weird. Phil doesn't give a fuck. There's even a point in time <laughs> when they're having a conversation about using Phil as a spy. Because one of the things Sora asked as a condition, he didn't ask for Phil. He asked if he could alter – he asked for – no, he didn't ask. One of his demands was that he have the right to alter her memories so that that way they could send her to spy on the elves and then alter her memories so the elves couldn't find out she was a spy. So they could get right. the information they needed, and that kept Phil safe. And Phil was like, you know, yeah, I just want to be with Karumi. You could destroy the entire – I was really already thinking that if the whole country was just destroyed, that would speed things along. And it's like, wow, Phil doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> Phil's <laughs> like, I just want to be with Karumi. I don't give a shit about the rest of my species. You can burn it all to the ground, which made the fact that she was so mad at Jabril even weirder. This <laughs> is like, well, then why were you so mad at Jabril? Because she murdered an entire swath of them. Well, it, and, was, it was the uh, it was the racial <laughs> slurs like Jabril called her a, a barefoot forest creature or something. When is Jabril not calling someone? something that is be let's just make something clear they are beneath jabril when it comes to when it comes to biological creatures jabril is at the top of the fucking food chain she is a demigod she she is a species that are called god slayers because that's what they did during the war they murdered gods <laughs> it may have taken like a thousand of them to do it, but they were, that's what they did. So, yes, to her, they might as well be pet caterpillars for all she gives a shit. <laughs> She's only just coming to understand how great Sora and Shiro are. And she only acknowledges Sora and Shiro, she doesn't acknowledge the rest of humanity. <laughs> so, yeah, of, of course, Jabril is constantly talking down to people because, 
for the like it, it's like like our human society is hierarchical right i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing that right but it's in tears so a queen is going to talk down to the chick that cleans her bathroom because that chick is beneath her status wise because that's the way our society is structured so you have to understand that for jabril everything beneath her is basically what we humans consider cats and dogs everyone around her might as well be an intelligent pet (laughs) (laughs) so like of course she's constantly doing it like and and i have no issues with people getting mad at her for it but that wasn't why phil was mad Phil was actually angry because of the killing of the village. She brought that up specifically. Right. But then she's like, oh, you can just burn my whole race to the ground. I don't care. I just want to be with Karumi. <laughs> and, and in the Elven, they go a little bit into how Elven society works and how they do have a slave system and they're allowed to enslave other races. So Karumi's family has been serving Phil's family line for generations. I think she said back to her great-grandfather. Something like that, yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, Phil has been alive since then. So elves do seem to still have very long lifespans. They seem to be still almost immortal. And for some reason, Phil took a liking to Karumi. So it feels... When it comes to Karumi and Phil, the way Phil feels about Karumi, and this, I, I may be off base here, but it feels like a woman or a person and their pet. And Karumi is that, it, it's that pet person who their, their pet is the apple of their eye. That pet is their child. That pet is a part of the family. They love that pet. They would sooner get rid of their spouse than that pet. Hmm. Right? Hmm. That's what Phil, that's how Phil comes off to me. And that's not to say that Phil looks at Karumi and goes, oh, good doggy. It's, but that's the kind of relationship it feels like because Karumi. If, if you pay attention to that relationship, Karumi runs that shit. Phil is like, well, I'm good with whatever Karumi wants to do. If Kar- As long as Karumi is safe, I don't care. Do whatever you want. Just right? The bottom. Karumi, yeah, Karumi <laughs> runs that relationship. Even though Phil <laughs> is a thousand times more powerful than her and more knowledgeable than her. But Karumi runs that, la- that relationship. Hmm. So... <clears throat> It is it, it is like it is like Phil is a humanity lover and Karumi is like that one puppy that licked her cheek and she just fell in love with it. And so they've been <laughs> together ever since. Like that's what it feels like. Um But yeah, uh went off on a bit of a tangent there, but continue. That's fun. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so they, uh, Sora and Kurami kind of jab each other with, you know, memories of each other. 
-hmm. and we uh so we get to the uh to the day of the game and people are rioting and Sora's like yeah I know they're rioting I I made them do that and you know the rioters do make a hole for the carriage to leave the castle and go to the Eastern Federation so uh so we're at the Eastern Federation, and his name is Eno, right? The old uh, the grandfather Beastman. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember. I only remember Azuna's name, and that's because Azuna is adorable. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't tell you to stop. Please, thank you. <laughs> right. So they they show up. Um. Sora, Shiro, and the gang are waiting in, I guess, like a conference room. And uh, there's a little more, a little more talk and, and such going on. And they get to to the game. So there's five pods. There's one for Azuni, Iz- Izuna, Izuna, and then one each for Sora and the gang. And I'm, I'm just going to call him Eno because I think that's what his name is. He says, all right, the game is going to begin. If you lose, you know, you'll find out the rules when we get in, when we start the game. Well, no, he, he does. Well, he does state one rule that if they lose, you do, as per usual, will lose all of your memories of the game. Um, and then the winner will gain the other, the loser's uh, race piece. Right. And then Shiro, or not Shiro, Sora makes his counter demand that if they get into the game but they decline, they just lose their memories and that's it. And then, of course, Eno's like, well, what I'm hearing is that you agree. Like, he he didn't say yes or no, he just kind of sidestepped that and continued on right and so they they all get set up in and Sora looks over at Azuna and notices that she's kind of got that blank look on her face so he he asks over to her he's like hey Azuna are you tired of playing these games and then she just gets that shocked look on her face and then that's when the game begins and they're transported to downtown Tokyo. And promptly, Sora and Shiro lose their shit. Yeah. <laughs> they're rolling all over the, the ground. Sora does like an inchworm crawling back, bowing the entire way. Like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I can't do this. You guys are going to have to play. We quit, we quit. And then the episode's over. Pretty much. So, you go ahead and uh, fill in what I missed or piece it together to where it makes sense. Okay. Um, So, like I said before, these two episodes bring a lot of concepts 
into light. So when the show start when it's when we start off, Sora says that he is going to get the final piece that they need to win. So and then he disappears. That's when uh and then everyone loses their memory of Sora. Shiro still remembers him. Now, this brings up an interesting concept as well because no one else remembers them. Only no one else remembers Sora, just Shiro. So everyone's telling her, but this person doesn't exist. That person has never existed. I don't know who you're talking about. And then she starts to doubt her own memory, right? She starts mm-hmm. going, well, maybe, maybe he doesn't exist. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. And Jabril challenges her to a game for her to lose her memories of Sora. And she wants Shiro to lose on purpose so that then Shiro can, you know, stop freaking out because she believes, you know, someone exists who doesn't. Now, this brought up a very good concept. What do you do when you can't even trust your own mind, Mm. when you can't trust the things that you know because everyone around you is telling you that the thing that you know is true is not when you doubt your own mind, that is a, that is, that's terrifying. That is like going outside and and looking up at the sun and being like, Ooh, it's a nice sunny day. And people are like, what are you talking about? Hmm. Like, it's a nice sunny day. The sun's out and shining. It's like, what's a sun? That thing literally up in the sky. There's, there's no sun there. I guess the better analogy would be you go outside and it's night and it never stops being night. And you're like, where's the sun? And everybody's like, what's that? Yeah, right. <laughs> and you, you've you lived all of the years of your life up to this day with a sun in the sky and now it's not there and everyone else is telling you it never was. Hmm. Humans are very grounded in what we can perceive with our senses but it is also very easy for us to hallucinate and our memories over time can alter and change the thing that you remembered so clearly today you may have you may not remember anywhere near the actual facts of the event three years from now so our minds while we we the the reason we are we structure our very society the way it is it, is because it anchors us especially in a world where we don't control very much humans like to think we have a lot of control we really don't the planet does whatever the fuck it wants to do whenever it wants to do it and we just have to deal with it when it happens i mean look at the current state of affairs with this pandemic mm no real control there we're doing everything we can to control it but if it get like the breakdown of society happens when everyone feels like they have no control and everything is unsafe so when your very sanity is called in the question and you start to doubt it yourself that drops the floor out from under you whatever grounds you in reality is now gone because now you have to doubt everything. Right. Right. So 
that's a terrifying concept and that's what shiro was going through because sora had always been there from the moment they first met because i think she's like eight or nine years old now so for five is she 11 okay so i think she was three or four when they met so that would be what seven eight years so for seven or eight years of her life Sora has been there. He has been a solid thing she can touch, a thing she can hear, a, uh, someone who has always been there she could talk to, have conversations with. And then she wakes up one day and everyone's like, who's that? Right. <laughs> that is insanely terrifying. Try waking up the next morning and looking for your family and they're not there. And then everyone you talk to goes, You've you've been an orphan since I've known you. Hmm. You will freak the fuck out. Also sounds like really Which is basically what she did. Also sounds like a really good writing prompt. (laughs) Well, it's it it, it's um I wanna say it was a Twilight Zone uh episode back in the day. I, I wanna say they did a Twilight Zone uh episode like that where somebody basically had to doubt everything around them because they would either hallucinate something that was so real they couldn't tell the difference and then someone else would be like yeah that that person doesn't exist or that event never mm. happened so i i actually think that was a twilight zone episode and at then one time. also simpsons did it with the, so, the zinc commercial oh well <laughs> there you go Simpsons did it. <laughs> a lot of Simpsons episodes are based off of Twilight Zone episodes, though. So Twilight Zone probably did it first. Um, so you you have that concept in and of itself, which is terrifying, which is why Shiro was freaking her shit, right? But she pulls herself together. She She figures it out. I wish they hadn't have done the moment where he shows up and like sort of puts like a ghostly hand on her wrist to stop her because she's about to lose the game on right. purpose. But I don't know if that was supposed to be her remembering something or if that was really him doing it because he was supposed to not exist at this point. Right. So, but in any case, she figures out the problem. She's able to get Sora back. They win the game. And the game was against Karumi and Phil. And as you said before, it was to, one, give uh, both parties got their memories back and kept a copy of the other party's memories. This was so he could gain Karumi's trust so that he could use Phil as a spy on the Elven Nation because he was already planning ahead to how he was going to deal with the Elven Nation after he did his game with the Beastmen Nation because he intended to win. He had he had no intention of losing. Um, so he was already planning for the next game. And that's why he needed Phil, and that's why he needed to be able to alter her memory so that she could spy for them. Um, and then they do a little bit of backstory on Shiro, which we went over, and then they did some backstory on Phil and Karumi when they met, because Karumi met Phil. This is why I say I think Phil's been around since before Karumi was even born, because Karumi met Phil when she was like eight, and Phil hasn't changed. 
Right. Um, so I think these are your traditional we live forever elves, right? Um, and let's see. Yeah, and that forced Sh- it also forced Shiro to combat uh, so- her and Sora's biggest weakness because their biggest weakness is being separated from each other because they're so codependent on each other. So by forcing them to be separated like that, it actually also forced her to overcome that weakness because that was their that like if another faction had figured out that they're almost catatonic when they're separated, that would have been the end. Like that's the end of humanity because then you just make a game that forces them to be separated. Mm -hmm. Right. And they go catatonic. They can't continue with the game. They lose. So it also it, it organically, honestly, forced her to deal with that and then overcome it. So that was also really good. Um, And then at the end of that game, the crying. So they're like, and and so they get all close to each other and and Steph is like, what are they doing? And then Phil, Karumi, and Sora and Shiro just start crying. They're like, I'm so, I was so scared. <laughs> like, and they're just crying their eyes out. And, and Jabril's like, maybe this is just the way they always were. And I was like, that's also a really good oh. moment. Because that is the I feel like Sora, that moment was very indicative of people. People are always scared. We get up in the morning, we go out every day, and there is always the possibility that we will not be coming back home. That is always a possibility for every single person who wakes up in the morning and leaves their house. Right. Period. And for a lot of people who wake up every morning and don't leave their house, um, anything can happen. We have we have so little control over the things around us, especially the people around us and how they might decide to act and go crazy, especially with all the crazy things going on in the world right now. So yeah, this actually is kind of how people are deep down inside. We're terrified of everything. We're always scared. And the people who aren't are the sociopaths you need to be worried about. The people who aren't scared all the time deep down inside, those are the motherfuckers you have to be worried about. Because those are the motherfuckers who get up on bell towers and start shooting people. Mm. (laughs) So, but that was actually another really good moment. Um, And the show, uh, I made a note where it's the show almost invites you to criticize it. Like, once again, I said that the the stories that I really like have never asked me to turn my brain off. And this is a show that does not ask you to turn your brain off. It almost invites your criticism. Now, there is a criticism I have that I didn't think about until what, re-watching these two episodes. The ten pledges have a huge loophole in them. One of the pledges says that both parties have to, that any party, uh, wait, so with the pledges, there's the pledge that says there can be no murder, there can be no war, and there can be no robbery. 
no murder, no war, no robbery. Those are the specific words, right? And ev- we've already seen that every rule is subject to the letter because there's the rule that if you're caught cheating, it's grounds for loss, but you have to be caught cheating. So all of the races cheat. They just make sure they don't get caught. So that's a big loophole. And there's the rule that says you can bet anything as long as both parties agree that they are of equal value. So I'm like, why wouldn't the nation just challenge like a five-year-old to a game, coerce them into or implant the – like imply or coerce them into betting their whole species and then just beat the five-year-old at a game. There's literally nothing in the rules against that. What stops this world from using espionage, blackmail, or kidnapping? Because the rules specifically say you can't murder anyone and you can't rob them and you can't start a war. It doesn't say you can't beat a person to within an inch of their life. It doesn't say you can't torture a person. Mm. If the rule had said you cannot commit violence, that would have been one thing. But it specifically says murder, robbery, and war. Right. Like somebody from any of the nations could have kidnapped Steph at any point in time and held her for ransom. And forced them into a game where they just took the last, where they just took Elkia. Well, I think, you know, a five year old doesn't have the race piece. I think that's just, that's something that the leader. Well, no, there is nothing in the rules that says you can, who can bet the race piece. The rules specifically say, that all disputes need to be settled will be settled by a game and that the parties involved can bet anything as long as they both agree they're of equal value. Mm. Mm. Indeed, an interesting loophole. So so anyone can bet anything. It's just that Sora and Shiro are the only ones who have ever bet the race piece. And the race piece is no, is given to the leaders of each fat, of each race. But there is nothing in the rules saying that the 15-year-old who thinks he's a badass or thinks she's uh, or thinks she's crafty can't put the race piece up in a bet in a game with another race to try to get something she wants and then lose it in all of her race to that other race. There is there are no rules in place to stop such a thing. There are no rules saying that they can't kidnap Shiro and hold her for ransom and force Sora into a game that he can't win just to get her back. Yeah. Yeah, but then that would be a really <laughs> quick story, wouldn't it? That would be a really quick story, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh Yeah, I also I also wrote a note saying that I feel like there isn't enough background for Phil and Karumi, and that is true. We get a glimpse at their relationship 
because Phil is from one of the most prestigious classes in the Elven race. Um, has a seat on their council. She's the she's the de facto leader of her family right. right now, and so has a seat on the council, the the highest status in the Elven kingdom. And she took a liking to Karumi, and Karumi tried to get her not to because she didn't want the elves to treat her uh, to treat her different. And since Elven society is built with the tenets for slavery in it, uh, it's even pointed out by Steph that because Phil, being one of the like basically members mm-hmm. of Congress, wants to go against their basically uh, slavery, uh, their like their uh, what is the best word to to say? Their slavery practices, basically, that they've had for so long, that is tantamount to treason, hmm. and she could actually be executed for it. So I feel like we don't get enough information to understand actually why Phil is so devoted to Karumi. So I feel like we need a lot more backstory for Phil and Karumi. Like, in the little bit we got of Shiro and Sora, we kind of understand. I feel like we need more on Shiro's side. It was actually more explanatory of Sora than it was Shiro. Because for Sora, he found someone who saw him, not the facade that he put on. That's why he fell in love with with Shiro. Right. Um, but for Shiro, we're not really sure why she fell in love with Sora. Yeah. Like they they basically stop at their meeting, so we don't really understand why she gained the trust and the attachment to Sora that she does. But we see exactly why Sora cherishes mm. Shiro. So I feel like we need more backstory with Shiro and and Sora a little bit as well. Yeah, would be nice. <laughs> and I'm assuming there isn't because you've already seen the whole series. Um, I'm not gonna say because I don't want to spoil anything. I don't want to. I don't want to spoil future episodes for people who are interested in the show. And I know we do a lot of spoiling. Because we're we're like talking about it and dissecting it and stuff like that, um, and I guess I should before we talk about these go. Hey, if you don't want spoilers, you know, skip this section. Uh, go check out the anime. But it's a, it's a fairly old <laughs> anime. If you haven't come across it by now, and if if what we talked about before in like the first and second episodes interested you then you should already be watching it. Otherwise, you like hearing us talk about it and you're just listening to us talk about it and you're not watching it. So I, I don't feel like we're ruining anything for uh, for anyone who might actually be interested in watching it. Um, but maybe we'll give the warning in the mm. future. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much all I had for the show. And then they get ready to start the game. Um uh, and, and this is why I say the show kind of invites you to criticize it and why another reason why I like the show, because they the way Sora and Shiro maneuver the Beast Nation into into playing the game 
is it was very smart and organic. It really was. They basically backed them into a a political show of backing off. So Sora and Shiro made a big fuss about having figured out their game and made sure everybody mm. knew it. Right? <clears throat> so all the other nations who have been trying to beat the Beast Nation but couldn't beat the Beast Nation have now found that humanity has challenged them to a game. The Beast Nation cannot back off because it should be an easy win. So now all the other na- now if the Beast Nation backs off, all the other nations go, well, why did they back off? What does humanity know that we don't? And so the Beast Nation could back off, but if they back off, Sora is more than willing to tell everyone what's going on with the, how with their game and how they're winning, which means they would get they would get fucked by like the Elven hmm. Nation. Um, and they can't have that either, so they're forced into this game basically, and they and they, and for them, not only do they have to do the game with the potential that they'll lose, but they also have to win because in order to, because they had to bet their race piece to match up to Imanity's race piece that Sora put up as a bet. So, so that was actually very, uh, that was actually really, really smart. So they, they do do a lot of things. Yeah. Like layers upon layers, layers upon layers. Um, they do a lot of, uh, they do a lot of smart things that do make sense. And I, I like that about this show. Not everything is perfect. And Karumi even brings up the fact that, um, when she gets Sora's memories, all of his wins were near misses and crazy lucky. (laughs) And she's not wrong. She is not wrong. Right. Um, Especially with uh, against Jabril, if Jabril hadn't have have used egocentric as her next word, they'd have been fucked. There were yeah that that was the that was the biggest thing because it was that at that point was pivotal, and Jabril could have done a lot of things. Um. She honestly could have done a lot of things, but they did take away her magic. They did take away her magic circuits, though. But she could have brought them back at a later time. So once again, they they very definitely bargained on her ego. They they literally saw how big of an ego she had because they because she thought of them as inferior creatures, and they absolutely bet on the fact that that would lead to her downfall, and they were right. It, it goes back to the it goes back to the theme of the weak becoming wise and sharpening their wit because the strong so blindly rely on their brawn. Right. So, all very good points. But yeah, even yeah, even like I think this is my seventh or eighth watch of this anime, and I still enjoy it every time I watch it. Mm. I don't think I've watched an anime that many times. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it, honestly, it's a fun ride for me. I don't know why, but I just really enjoy it. Mm. All the, you know, the T's and the A's really help. They do help. I'm not going to act like they don't. But it's still also a very good story plus TNA. 
<laughs> I mean, that's the total package, oh, right? Good story, TNA. Throw in some beer and pizza, and I'm set. Right. <laughs> okay, so are we going to talk about good and evil next uh, segment? Yeah, I believe that's what we are going to do next segment. All right, so everybody, buckle up. Make sure your seat backs and tray tables are in their upright and locked positions. Call on any uh, deity you might need to assist you. Uh, make sure your arcs of the covenant are plugged in, and we will be right back. And we're back. We are indeed back. I feel like I should be smoking a big fat blunt to talk about this. <laughs> Why? Well, I mean, it's ethereal elemental concepts. Good and evil. I guess. Right? I mean, honestly, I'm not sure how this is going to go. This might be a short discussion. It might be a long discussion. It's just (laughs) where our brains go. They'd probably go a lot further if we had some weed. I don't think I function well on any form of substance. Hmm. So good and evil. What are they? Why are they? Why do they got it? Well, the why is pretty easy. Like, once again, humans label things as a way to control the things around us. By labeling it, by naming it, we give it a... It's, it's like I don't know the, how to the, put it. It's like magic. They're the power in the name kind of thing, I, I guess, is what you're trying to get at? Yeah, I guess that's about as close as I can get to it. It's... uh. It's not just an identifier for us, right? Um, So the why is because, I mean, we did need to identify it as something. Um, And when quantified, that's the word I was looking for. Because when we name something, when we label it, we can then quantify it, Mm, right? Indeed. So... Uh, so when, when it comes to good and evil, it really becomes a question of what constitutes good, what constitutes evil. And there have been philosophical discussions about this for centuries. Um, even. Yeah, well, probably since human beings got to a point where we could actually think about the concept. Like, there's a wrong and a right, and then there's good, and then there's evil. So you can say something is wrong, you can say something is right, but to call something evil or to call something good is a broader generalization. Um, I was reading through a couple of articles, and they brought up the broad generalization and then the narrow general uh, generalization. And basically the broad generalization was like uh, saying something was evil in a broad term was anything that caused suffering or discomfort, right? Um, So you could say someone going hungry is evil. Yeah. Um, 
just as much as you could say someone murdering someone is evil, right? But then you get down to the narrow of it and the narrower uh, definition of e- definition of evil, I guess it's not the best way to say it, but the the narrower generalization of evil, I guess, would be that uh, it would be then malicious intent. And that's what I always say when it comes to evil and good. These are concepts that are rooted in the intent of the person. Malicious intent is what is is what you constitute as evil. Uh, mm-hmm. it, the intent of helping someone is what you constitute as good. Uh, not just, oh, well, this is just evil. It's like, no, because murder is supposed to be evil, but you might have to kill someone in your own defense. It's still murder. You still killed someone, but you were defending yourself. So does that make right. what you did evil? I don't believe so. There's no malicious intent on your part. It's just you're wanting to survive and then someone actively trying to hurt you. Um, I know uh, the, a YouTuber I watched brought up the fact that if uh, if you saw someone attacking another person and uh, uh, if you saw one person attacking another person and the only way to stop it was to kill one or the other – who would you kill? And, you know, his answer was like, you'd kill the person who was attacking the other person because they're the problem, right? Like, mm. if, so, like, uh, I think a better way of, I, I don't think I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm quoting him correctly, but I think the way I can put it is if you have two best friends and then one of your best friends literally attacks another one with a knife with intent to do bodily harm, who do you back up? Whose back do you have? They're both your friends, but one is trying to hurt the other. The other is just trying to fend the, the first one off. Who do you, whose back do you have in that situation? For me, it's the person defending themselves. They have not caused the problem. They are just defending themselves from an attack, which warranted and and this is why I say it's intent because mm-hmm. if the attack is warranted or not, right? And even so, it it's all comes down to circumstances. But if this person's intent is to kill or do bodily harm to that person, I'm gonna back up the person who's being attacked. Because the person attacking is the dangerous one. Mm, but what if, and we're going we're gonna to put on our hypothetical hats here, taking this, this thought experiment of if you see one person attacking the other, who do you, and you have to kill one of them, who do you kill? You say you kill the one who's doing the attacking. Well, what if that person who's defending called the one attacking a racial slur before you got there and then you get there and you see the, you know, the fight going on. Well, I, and I, I, and I understand that situation. So that's why I said it comes down to circumstance because there are so many ways for conflicts, conflict to spring up. Right. And that was another thing in, in the articles that I read is that when 
so scientists have been having a debate for years on whether evil should simply be stricken from being used because it could be dangerous because to label okay. something it because to label something evil means that everyone treats it far more harshly than they normally would. And there are actual examples of that throughout history. Uh, even in the world wars, when uh, our when our presidents would be galvanizing, I I'm trying to I should have I should have noted it down, but one of our presidents even uh, what was it the axis of evil? We were we were uh -huh. calling the we were calling the uh, consolidated powers over in the USSR the axis of evil, which basically. Oh, it was the the Italians, the Japanese, and the Germans. Yeah. That was the of evil. Yeah, and that was what that was the term we used. And of course, then that uh and that caused a that caused a rise here in America of violence against immigrants. Now the violence probably would have mm. happened anyway. But it made the violence that much worse because we had labeled them evil. And you can even see that now with what's going on with China. So when we start labeling China's actions as evil, a lot of people go, well, Asians are evil. And then we've seen these attacks happening. That is a basically a trigger word in humans. You label something evil and it tends to strip away another person's humanity in the eyes of, uh, in the social eyes of everyone around them, right? And that's a, that's a tactic that's been used for centuries. Like in World War One, it was beware of the Huns. That in re in reference to the Germans. Yeah. It's, it's de it's dehumanizing the enemy so you don't think that they're a person right so then and, uh, oh go ahead yeah sorry it, um i'm in, it's interesting you brought up uh it was fdr i believe in world war Two, calling it the axis of evil remember what else fdr did mm, what put he put every Japanese citizen in the U.S. into internment camps. Uh, yep, yep. George Takai being one of them as a child. And for those who don't know, and, and shame on you for not knowing, George Takai plays Hikaru Sulu in the original Star Trek. Really? He puts... Really? He did. Yeah, he was Sulu. No, no, no. Uh, he, uh, I, I, I'm referring to Reagan. He acts Reagan, right? No, it was uh, Roosevelt. Roosevelt. Oh, it was Roosevelt. Oh, well, okay, never mind. Then, yeah, I absolutely <laughs> can believe Roosevelt did it. Roosevelt don't give a fuck. <laughs> Roosevelt don't give a fuck. I absolutely believe he did it. <laughs> Yeah. So, and uh, this is this is kind of a little bit off topic. When some people on the left are like, "Well, racist this, racist that, racist the other thing." Well, you you know your 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 great New Deal guy, he interned an entire race of people. Now, did yeah. he do it with malicious intent? I can't say. I'm not FDR. It was a bad thing to do. Yes, because now there's. 
a generation of American citizens who have that stigma attached to the government. Well, hell, there's generations of Native American citizens that have a great stigma attached to the American government. Yeah. And but, that was so, a... Sorry, continue. Finish your thought. No, no. Uh, um, I didn't even really have a thought to finish, so go ahead. Right. <laughs> um, and that was actually another thing that was brought up, is that uh, the concept of evil... One of the reasons scientists or philosophers, scientists and philosophers were thinking of those who were pro get rid of the the language of, you know, the word evil and that language was because whenever we say something is evil, we use it as a broad blanket statement for something we don't understand, which is honestly appropriate because the thing humanity fears most is the unknown. And you see that a lot when it comes to mental illness. You see that a lot in our current society right now with all these random shootings and uh, killings and things like that, because these are things we cannot understand the motivations behind or because we don't know what the motivations are behind. So it is a mystery. Um, And so we label it, well, then it's evil. And we just use it as a way to give a blanket explanation for something we just don't have an explanation for and don't understand the circumstances behind. So instead of trying so right, a catch-all. So we stop ourselves from investigating and trying to figure out what led to this. Instead, we just go, well, that's just evil. They're just evil, right? And that mm-hmm. keeps us from that keeps us from understanding the nature of uh, the nature of how a person could commit such acts, right? Um, which leads mm-hmm. back to once again, it can also be used in a way like when you accuse someone of being evil, it it can even make it so that it, you know it strips, it dehumanizes them, it makes them into something that is not human. Because mm, we the left's been really good at that the last couple of years. Well, it, yeah, and it's because we always want to. Humans always want to believe that humans are naturally good, that that is our default setting. Everyone's a good person if, you know, circumstances just didn't turn them into assholes. Bullies have uh, bullies have uh, bad home lives. That's why they take out their aggression on everyone else. And the fact of the matter is that's not actually true. And I'm not going to and, and I'm not saying that that isn't a cases that there aren't bullies that are like that but that is not usually the overall that's not usually like the majority of bullies um it's probably like 60 40 and that 40 percent are just people who have never had consequences for their actions so they just think they can get away with whatever they want to do and people have a natural instinct because we're pack animals to put people beneath them. It is in mm. that is in our nature. And it is a thing that we ignore a lot and we don't like to think about. Like humans have a very real need to feel better than the other than people than the uh, other people around them. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I'm, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's based on Maslow's hierarchy of needs to a degree, maybe. Like, uh, so the the base need is shelter and safety, right? Mm-hmm. Once you have shelter and safety, you can work on the next tier in the hierarchy. Once you have that, you work on the next, the next, the next. And it's a, I would call it a base need. But I think I'm kind of getting off topic. Well, no, no. I think it all, I think it all comes, I, I think it all ties into the same topic because we're like, well, what is the nature of evil and what is the nature of good? And to be fair, they're just concepts because what is the nature of good, right? When, when we look at it, is it good because someone helps you or someone is nice to you? Does that make them good? But what if their intent behind being good to you is simply because they can get something out of you? And you see this a lot mm-hmm. in our, uh, you see this a lot in how we socialize. People will smile mm-hmm. in your face and then stab you in the back. So, is mm-hmm. it good when someone is nice to you with ulterior motives? And then, yeah, not not specifically malicious intent, but with not benevolent intent. Right. And a really good example of it is society as a whole decides what is good and what is evil. So a good example is pedophilia. So a hundred. Yeah. Right. What? Well, hold on. I let me, let me finish the thought. So (laughs) a hundred, 150 years ago, our, our boys and our girls used to be married off at young ages. Like the girls usually around the time that they turned 13 and were bleeding and could bear children. Now, this was at a time when people didn't live very long. Like if you lived to be 30, you were old. You were probably a grandparent, right? right? Because (laughs) anything could kill you then. You trip over a rock and skin your knee, you die the next day. (laughs) Like, you know, life was short. There was no antibiotics or there was nothing you you got you skinned your knee you probably died of a blood infection correct so (laughs) so society as a whole said because of our current living conditions and the way that in our mortality rate our young people once they are able to reproduce they are adults and they can go reproduce But as time went on, and we saw that as good, we saw that as fine. That was just the way things were. That was good. This is how it was supposed to be. And then as time went on, our concept as a society changed. As we started living longer and medical science improved and progressed, we went, well, you're no longer an adult at 13. You're an adult at 15. You're no longer an adult at 15. You're an adult at 17. You're no longer an adult at 17. You're an adult at 18 and 19. Right? So now it became unacceptable and evil if an adult or uh, hell, I've even seen the cases where an 18-year-old had sex with his 17-year-old girlfriend and was put in jail for pedophile as a pedophile. So Mm -hmm. we went from Oh no, it's fine 
if that happens at this period. But then as society changed, we went, okay, that's evil now. And now it's uh, now that what was good is now evil. So are good and evil only concepts created by what society thinks is good or bad? There is a uh, I was I, I read an article on a uh, and it, this I, I, I don't I'm not trying to talk about uh, pedophilia a lot, but it's a really good example, unfortunately. Um, but there is a unfortunately uh, I read an article <laughs> a little while ago, uh, a couple of years back, there was a tribe. Um, and I, I'm forgetting this just popped into my head. So I forgot to go and relook it up. But I remember that there was a tribe. And what they would do is their 15 year old boys in the tribe would actually be sexual partners for multiple older men within the tribe. And this was normal. This was just the way their society worked. There was nothing wrong with it. It wasn't considered evil. It was just considered it, it was considered, you know, the way things were, right? And then the outside world came to the village, saw what was going on. They were like, oh, that's that's terrible. That's evil. What are you doing, you terrible people? This is not how you treat children. So what is good and what is evil? They're just – are they just words for what our perspective as a whole, as society decides? So – if let's say 50 years from now, we decide that all that at one point, so right now, uh, our elderly, that we're supposed to take care of them, we're supposed to provide for them in their old age until they pass on, and we hope they pass on peacefully. If uh, maybe 50 years from now, society's perspective on that changes, now doing, now prolonging an elderly person's life is not a good thing. It's a bad thing. And they're supposed to be euthanized the moment they hit a certain age. Because that's where There's society... a movie based on that. Well, I'm not surprised. I mean, the Vikings were basically like that. You didn't want to die of old age. You wanted to die in battle when you were young. And the longer you lived, the more battles you tried to go into so that you could die in battle because you didn't want to die old in your bed. Because then you couldn't pass on into Valhalla. Right. So what yeah. <laughs> so it brings very much into question what's good, what's evil. Tell me, is it good because you say it's good? Is it evil because you say it's evil? Why? Hmm. What if I judge something well, to be evil and you judge something to be good? Why is why would your perspective of it being uh evil and my perspective of it being good? Be more. Why would your perspective be more uh, be more valid than mine? Mm. And this brings so in. What, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, you go ahead. <laughs> well, because I was gonna, I was gonna bring Ophelia back up for a different culture. Well, at two different cultures. Actually. Well, at this point, it also brings up racism, prejudice. It, it even brings into question tribalism. Like, so it really, so really, and like I said, it's a philosophical discussion we've been having since humans could think about it, could actually think about it and scrutinize it. What really is good and evil? Um, mm. what right? Can, good. 
So, uh, once again, pedophilia, best subject to discuss good and evil. <laughs> so, child, child brides, <clears throat> I believe in, in old India, that was a thing. Like, you'd, uh, you know, you'd have your young Maharaja, or, or even, like, you'd have your Maharaja, and he would pick a six-year-old girl, like, she's going to be my wife, one of my wives. Mm-hmm. And that was acceptable. Or take uh, Arab culture. You know, women are for procreation, men are for pleasure. The younger, the better. You know, there was a, what was it? A, a U.S. serviceman uh, killed, and I, I want to say it was an Iraqi officer because he was raping a boy. Now, that's acceptable in Arab culture, but to us, it's not. Right. right? To us, it's terrible. It, it also brings up the concept of like ISIS and uh, specifically ISIS. When I say terrorists, I say ISIS and terrorists, but specifically ISIS because of their belief that all infidel is it infidels? Is it infidels for ISIS? Yes. Yeah, because of their belief that. Well, no, it's for it's for Islam in general, right? If you're if you don't believe in the the teachings of Muhammad, you're an infidel, right? And we see that as an evil because they're going around and they're murdering people, but they see it as doing God's work. So they believe in that as being the ultimate good that they can do, just like a Christian would believe in that believe in their religious tenets to be good, just like a Jewish person believes in their religious tenets to be good. That's the same faith these people have in theirs. So we call them evil and we call them terrorists and we call them monsters, but for them, they're on a holy crusade and they are doing, they are doing the, Oh, what's the word? They're doing the, uh, God's work. Yeah, I, I guess I, <laughs> I, I, I was trying to articulate it differently, but yeah, for them, they are literally doing God's work. So that makes me think. Uh, just a quick interruption. Uh, that makes me think of a line from uh, the. I think it was the last Pierce Brosnan Bond movie when he goes to Cuba and and talks to the Cuban sleeper agent mm-hmm. and the Cuban sleeper agent says, well, one man's terrorist is another's freedom fighter. Yep. Pretty much. So one, one man's certain religious beliefs is another's blasphemy. It's all about, perspective. it's all about perspective. It really is all about perspective. And actually that feeds back into how as humans, we like to label things to get kind of a grasp on it, to quantify it. And when we can't quantify it, we're lost. Right. So, Mm. and I know uh, there was, 
talk in the and uh, in, in everything I was reading, there was also talk that we needed to get away from these kinds of terms because it invited a supernatural thing because of the mystery of it and because of its unknown. And it, this was actually Nietzsche too. And I don't know if it's quoted, but basically this is how it was taken is that Nietzsche was like, we need uh, having terms like good and evil instead uh, actually takes away from human progress because we're using these blanket terms that are more a description of supernatural rather than going on the merits of progress and it's, instead of going on the merits of a person's uh, personal expression and progress and thus allowing society to progress. And I'm probably not quoting that right. Let me... Let's see. Am I, let mm. me see if I can find that one part. Oh no! It almost sounds like Nietzsche was thinking. Well, you know, if uh, if a, if a popular politician wants to diddle kids, let him diddle kids as long as he's doing good deeds for the. That's country. what it sounded like too, right? It it's like the way it was proposed and once again this isn't a direct quote this is what is written in the in the article for it like in the in this is like a scientific uh, letter that like scientists work multiple scientists worked on and philosophers so scientific yeah scientific paper, paper yeah, sorry gotcha. uh, brain um but yeah it i was <laughs> like man nietzsche that's a very businessman like perspective you have on this subject where we're <laughs> going to dismiss the merits of wrongdoing or evil or good and solely base our judgment on the progress that that person has made on the contributions that they have given everything else is is, is secondary to that and i was like <sighs> well, <really? laughs> yeah i was like <laughs> Ooh, Nietzsche, that's a slippery slope, my guy. I don't know. <laughs> that's a real easy way to start stripping people of their humanity and turning them to cogs in a wheel. I'm just saying, or cogs in the machine. I'm just mm. saying. <laughs> and that that makes me think of a, of a Next Generation episode. Um, if you remember, it was the guy who had some telepathic abilities, but he was... Uh, like a peace negotiator and he had that old lady with him who was always getting like pissed off when De when Deanna was around. Mm -hmm. And, but what it was is he was giving all his negative energy, negative thoughts, negative everything to her. She was a vessel for all of his bad. So he could do good. Hmm. So there's there's that. So that's definitely evil. Is it malicious? Depends on your point of view. But well, that's the thing, though. Is it is it evil though? Because it's not malicious. See, for him, he may not. He's not even doing something evil. He is doing something for the greater good. For her. He is doing something evil because he is imposing this upon her against her will. 
uh, it's kind of ambiguous, it, which it always so, is. To be fair, and and that's what I was getting at. For her, is evil. For him, he's doing something good. But then he also, you know, the character's got kind of a, a megalomaniacal streak to him. So, like, he thinks he thinks he's doing to put it. I don't have a better term to put it. He thinks he's doing God's work and, you know, putting all of his evil into someone else is just kind of collateral damage. And it's nothing to be, you know, nothing to sneeze at. Mm, Right. Like, it's okay. It's fine. Which, (laughs) yeah, I, I I might be killing her. And this is probably the hundredth woman I've killed, but I'm I'm doing the Lord's work. Yeah. And Next Generation was good for those kind of philosophical things. And when it comes to philosophical questions, they don't really have an answer. They're always ambiguous. Uh, for me personally, mm. I look at it as I look at it as intent. Did they intentionally do it? And I also look at it as in, instead of worrying about what's evil and what's good, look at it from the point of view of the easiest way to tell if you are doing something you shouldn't be doing is if you ask yourself, if someone did this to me, would I be okay with that? And if you go, no, hmm. I wouldn't be okay with it, then you're doing something wrong and you yeah. should stop. <laughs> if you're robbing someone's house, you know you wouldn't like it if someone robbed your house. Stop it. If you're abusing someone, you know you wouldn't like it if you were abused. Stop it. If you're... If you're trying to get your dick wet because, you know, she she was wearing clothes that said she wanted it, but she doesn't really want it, would you want your, uh, your starfish puckered? Probably not, right. so stop it. So stop it. That's always been the easiest way for me to tell if I was doing something I shouldn't be doing. I'd ask, I, I ask myself, man, if I, if someone was doing this to me, would I, I, I wouldn't like this. So I'm no, 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 not going to do that. That's not okay. <laughs> um, and, and I, I like how you're using the word intent because for those who follow you know the the Wiccan the Wiccan ways or who practice magic, intent is a big thing, big thing, and and it, and in fact, uh, for those who know, there is no such thing as black magic. It's magic with ill intent. I just want to throw that. Well, out. no, that's at, like that's a very good. Uh, no, that's a that's a good inclusion. That's a that's a good inclusion, because um, I know uh, I don't know if it's all witches or all traditional witches, but it's a and when it uh, when it comes to a lot of things with that, it's a balance between good and evil. Too much good is a bad thing. Too much evil is a bad thing. You have to keep it in balance because you can't have one without the other. And that was another argument between scientists and philosophers, because in a world where a good, all-knowing, all-powerful God exists, how can you have evil? 
because to have good mm. is to have evil. So you so you can have good without evil, but you can't have evil without good, right? So and and that's that's like a western a western wave a western correct, line of thinking. Because, you know, like a like a like an atheist would probably say, well, you know, if God is so great and all loving and benevolent, how come there's evil in the world? Well, uh, an Eastern philosopher would say, well, that's the Tao. Yeah. Because you can't have one without Right. It's a yin and yang. It's a balance. Because it's not... That's the Tao. Because there's good and evil in everyone. Everyone carries evil inside them. And it is up to that person to control that. Like, I know, uh, and I may have said it before, but uh, a saying I really like is like, everyone has two dogs in them. The one you feed most is the one that's bigger, right? Oh, the yeah. wolves. It's a Native oh, American. Is it, well, is that from Native America? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you have two wolves, one good, one bad. The one you feed most is the one that's going to have the right. most power. So, yeah. Or something like that. It's yeah, I, I forget the exact probably. phrasing, but yeah, I forget the exact phrasing too. But that's basically the long and short of it. It's like everyone's got good and evil in them, and the one you give them, the one uh, that your actions most represent, is going to be the one that has the most sway over you. Um, and I understand it can be really hard. I do understand how it can be really hard because when a person wants something, because I've seen it in myself too, I'm not going to act like I'm devoid of evil doing let he who is without sin cast the first stone Hmm. and all that. Nah, I I, I can't cast the first stone. Like I've done some dumb shit and I've done some dumb shit in my life and I've done some shit I shouldn't have done. But that also makes me understand that when a person wants something, they will do the mental gymnastics to make it seem good in th- at the moment. <laughs> right. Like at that moment, they'll be like, no, it's fine. It, it, it's fine. Right. And then you look back on it mm, and that makes right. Sense. And you look back on it, you reflect mm-hmm. and you go, Oh, I really, really shouldn't have done that. <laughs> right. Uh, another point, like when you first talked about, you know, Killing, killing in self-defense is not evil. It's bad, but it's not evil. What about the homeless person stealing a loaf of bread so they can eat and not right. die? It's like the st- is 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 that theft evil, or are they or are they doing what they need to do so that they can survive? Right? They're not doing it because they want to. Yeah. They're doing it because it, normally they're not doing it because they want to. Normally they're doing it because they have to or they starve. It's like, right. And then once again, that's all it's all it's perspective. All pers- Seems to always come back it's to perspective. It's all perspective. And like uh, even when you look at like Christian philosophy and how uh, God cast Lucifer into the pit. And this is this is just me kind of being devil's mm-hmm. advocate, right? So Oh, I've had this I've had this discussion with uh, with my friend, uh, the one who got me to mm-hmm. join the army back then he was uh, carousing, womanizing, you know, 
fuck anything in the skirt kind of guy. Now he's Ned Flanders. <laughs> so if, if I think I know where you're going with this. I've had this discussion with him. In that, so continue. Well, go ahead. Uh, oh, no, <laughs> I think I've had this discussion with him. Okay. Um, but once again, it's perspective. So we hear the tale of an angel who rebelled against God's orders and attacked heaven. And for his evil and his transgressions, he was cast down into hell. But when you try to understand, like, because Lucifer was God's most cherished child, his favorite son. He was the morning star. What could make that kind of being... Right fall and turn on his creator and his father well what can normally make a son or a daughter turn against their parents because when they when they have a baby when they have a baby sibling (laughs) when when it feel when when a child feels like the parents favor a child over them it, it easily can lead to emotions of resentment and hate, not only for the child that is getting the attention, but for the parents who are giving that attention in such an unequal way. Now, this is also selfish, and you could say is evil in its own way, because the child is only angry that they're not getting the amount of attention they want. If the parents were lavishing that attention on them and neglecting their sibling, they wouldn't have a complaint. So you look at Lucifer and you go, his acts were evil, but he's just a child of resentment because he was basically cast aside by the one being he loved above everything else. And we've seen how bad relationships can end when one spouse cheats on another or some such nonsense happens and how explosive and deadly that can become, how easily love becomes hate and how easily care turns into violence. Mm -hmm. So is he, so is it that it was an evil act or was it an act of a child rebelling out of resentment and anger for feeling abandoned? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, because he still shouldn't have did what he did. He shouldn't have turned on God. He shouldn't have attacked heaven. But. So. And that was that was the argument I made to my friend. Like, you know, he was God's favorite. But was, you know was come over by jealousy because God created man and was lavishing all his love on man. Meanwhile, kind of forgetting the angels he created first. Actually, that is a, uh, that's also a good segue where uh, there's a movie coming out and I'm, I, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but it is about, and this is in the trailer, so I'm not spoiling anything because I don't think the movie has released yet. But the trailers are about a couple who move into a house and the house basically starts granting their wishes. And one of the, and one oh. of the things in the trailer is the, after they realize that the house is doing what it's doing 
and they start coming into negative. At first, they're fine with it. But then the wife basically wishes for a child from the house because the couple were having troubles having one. And so he goes to visit someone Mm. else who used to live in the house, I believe. Um, Because they don't say it specifically in the trailer, but he's talking to a guy who seems to know about the house. So I assume this guy may have lived in it at one time. And he go he says a line, and he goes, "A who he's uh oh if I can remember it correctly, he's like a person who doesn't get what they want all the time isn't the one you need to be worried about. It's the person who always gets what they want." They're the dangerous ones. Right. So, yeah, so, so, like, good and evil, what constitutes it? Is it just perspective? Are they just labels we've thrown on something that we honestly don't actually know? Yeah, we can look at things and go, that's evil, but then another person can look at the same thing and be like, no, that's good. Hitler thought he was doing the best thing in the world when he was murdering Jews and paving the way for the master race. He thought he was going to bring humanity itself into a golden age. He thought he was doing... He was also high on... Well, right. (laughs) Wait a minute, wait a minute. Does that mean World War... Does that mean World War II was just a bad trip? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Humanity, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Well, let me... Let me... me, So... He wasn't on all the drugs until he until he became. I assume the that would have probably been the only time he actually had the money to afford them, at least a heavy supply. Right. But so, yeah. but he, uh, but yeah. So, um, I I saw this thing. I think it was on Facebook years ago. Let Let me pose this thought okay. experiment to you. There are two men. There's two men. One is a drunk, smokes tobacco, carouses with women. And so he's, he's a drunk, he smokes tobacco, mm-hmm. and carouses with women. On the other hand, you have a vegan, doesn't drink, doesn't smoke. Who would you rather have leading you? Mm, give me the options one more time. So, guy number one drinks, smokes, and carouses with women. Guy number two, vegan, doesn't drink, doesn't smoke. Mm. That comes down, I think that really, personally, I wouldn't choose either one. But I think that really comes down to, uh, the yeah, because... People who like to drink and party are going to go with the guy who seems fun. But people who are more straight and narrow in their views and maybe conservative will go with the vegan who doesn't do any of those things. So you're ready for the the reveal? The drinking, smoking carouser was Winston Churchill. 
the vegan was <laughs> well I guess no surprise there so <laughs> but yeah so um, humanity in a nutshell ladies and gentlemen World War II kicked off by a bad trip bad trip and someone who hated himself because Hitler was actually from Turkey and he was a Jew. If I remember correctly. Was Hitler Jewish? Hmm. Are you sure? Ooh, let's ask Google. I, I seem to remember that. So I'm going to ask Google. He was also, oh, that was the other thing. Um, so going back to that comparison, you have the, the, the smoker, drinker, carouser, never served in the military. You have the vegan, never smokes, never drinks, and was a veteran. Because Hitler served in World War I. Mm. I was not aware. Yeah. Well, that's the, uh, I guess that's the, the plus side of all the podcasts I've been listening to. I get that kind of extra trivial knowledge that only really helps when I'm doing <laughs> a podcast. <laughs> so History Channel-News-Study, studies suggest Adolf Hitler had Jewish and African mm. ancestors. But he, I do believe, okay, let me, this is probably going to flag me, but this is for, this is research for the podcast. Uh, I'm sorry, he was Austrian. I don't know why the fuck I thought he was from <laughs> Turkey. He's an Aust- he was born in Austria. Okay. Oh shit, he's the same height as me. All right, I need to either grow an inch or drink an inch. <laughs> I can't be having that shit. But yeah, so shit. I okay. What what were we even talking about before I got uh, into that? We were talking about the vegan and the drinker, and Winston Churchill and Hitler, right? Um, and we we got right. into the subject. Uh, we we basically came down to it does really come down to perspective, and it is ambiguous. I often think quite a. I often think if we were to be met by an extraterrestrial race, it is very very unlikely that they are going to hold the same values that we do or be anything like us. They have grown up in a different world. They have developed biologically and mentally different so it is very i mean good go ahead Uh, uh, you know if we were to be you know if extraterrestrials came to us they could have more actual genders than male and female because their biology could be different you know you could have 
male alien, female alien, no genitals alien. And but yeah, that that was the one. That was the point I was going to. But make. yeah, so no, continue. no, no. You're you're not wrong. But I think that really brings our subject to a close, unless we want to get into like like the scientific studies that I was reading on. And I pretty much said everything that they basically all came to the conclusion. There's a camp to get rid of the words. There's a camp to keep the words. Um, And they all have their own specific reasons for why they think the word should go and why they think the word should stay. But at the, at the end of the day, Everyone has to decide for themselves what they feel is wrong or right and what's good and evil. And really, it's just a difference of perspectives. But I think that universally, Mm. the easiest way to tell whether you are doing the right or the wrong thing is to ask yourself, if it Mm. was done to me, how would that make me feel? And right. I, I think a lot of it, I, I think oh. a lot of it is that we as humans suffer a lot from not considering other people's emotions out of sight, out of mind. If mm. they are not immediately connected to us or immediately within our vicinity, we don't care about other people. Fuck them. Right. Um. <laughs> I have a friend who's going through something like that with his family right now um, with the whole coronavirus and everything starting to reopen. Um, Is this a friend? uh, Yeah, but I'm not going to say who it is on the podcast. Um, I I can let you know after that, but he's kind of having a similar problem. He's been talking to me about it. He hasn't really been making it a secret, but I don't know if he wants another podcast being blared out to the world, especially considering the amount of hostility that has kind of unexpectedly popped up in the conflict. So, um, but it really mm. is a situation gotcha. of it, it is a situation of a person going, well, it isn't going to happen to me or mine. So whatever happens to everybody else happens. Right. Mm. Yeah. Um, one one thing I was wanting to bring up, uh, like you say, your philosophy is, well, if this happened to me, would I like it? That's a good philosophy. Um, I've, I've said this many times on Facebook. I'm not sure if I've said this on the podcast. I, I kind of like the philosophy, do what you will, harm none. So, like, you know, if you want to, if you want to smoke a ton of weed every day, drink five gallons of, of liquor and whatever, whatever you do, you just don't fucking hurt anybody. Start fucking hurting people. I'm going to have an issue. And uh, once again, back to <laughs> diddling kids. I don't care what, whatever any society says, it's wrong. And you should be like punched in the dick until you die. Those are just my personal thoughts. 
Oh no, I absolutely understand. But uh, we we talked about that in a previous podcast. Don't diddle the children. It's not good for you, and it's definitely not good for them. Don't do it. No kitty. Um, but yeah, no pictures of diddled either, because there was a there was a political official that got a. Uh, got arrested for having like 14 gigabytes of child porn see that's the thing like that. that once again we're popping up as to how how it's the perspective of the overall surrounding society decides what's actually good and what's actually evil because over in asia having kitty porn is still not actually outlawed like well i'm sure they have child prostitutes there that too. i don't know I and that's probably in Asia. That's probably uh, in South you're probably America thinking Thailand as well. Thailand probably more than likely. Well, no, I'm I'm thinking, yeah, but also in South in South America as well in the third world countries where the only way they can make money is to spread legs, and I guess some people just don't care the if there's grass on the field or not. Yeah, well, it's like I go back to the happy place. Like, why is there so much porn? Because we're disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I think that's all I really have for the subject. I mean, from here out, it is everyone's own. it, It is everyone else thinking about what good and evil really means to them and what that perspective is. And it is a society as a whole that determines what is considered acceptable and what is considered not. So, mm. like, I mean, wait, it, there's not much else to say. It, like, it's literally just another discussion with a lot of the same plot points at this point, right? And there might be a different perspective out there. Mm. So we'll just have to wait and see if one comes along. Like, for those listening, like, uh, hit up our Twitter, comment, let us know what you think about the nature of good and evil. You can leave us a voice message at our Anchor website. It's uh, anchor.fm slash G-S-A-U-T-S. There's a, you can click on a link and leave us a voice message. But yeah. So, do we have another topic after this, or are um, we going to call it We probably should call it here. I think this is our normal ending time. So. Ooh. Did you play D&D? Uh, we did. Unfortunately, I don't remember anything that we did in that session. <laughs> well, I remember some things. I, I can't say I don't remember anything, but I don't remember a lot of the specifics. I'll have to sit down and write it out, and then I will talk about it on the next podcast. Because, honestly, I couldn't give you a lot of those specifics right now. I've been up for, like, a while, and I'm fighting going to sleep. (laughs) Yeah, I noticed you yawn. So, so listeners, bombard Gerald's social media, tell him to go to sleep at a decent time. I'm just kidding. (laughs) so final thoughts good and evil is definitely uh 
perspective and ambiguous. Um, I mean, yeah, well, everything's got to be ambiguous right. nowadays. Mm-hmm. Like, is that hot looking person there? Or is, are they packing meat? Or are they packing a taco? It's we ambiguous. ambiguous. And a trap. <laughs> Look out, Jim. It's a trap. Mm. <laughs> mm, but is it a Sith trap? or is It's it a probably Sith a Sith trap. These are the burning questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm I'm gonna end I'm gonna end uh, my thoughts with this, um, for for the whole good and evil thing. For a while now, I have been thinking that all of the politics of the U.S. is just a giant Sith trap to keep the people split and not united and that's something we can talk about on another podcast but i'm just going to leave that little kernel there to fester and grow so final thoughts good and evil quantifiable terms based on perspective one man's terrorist is another's freedom fighter all you can do is do you and hope you're Doing good. Yeah. Um, basically the same. The only thing I have to add to that is uh, what you're basically saying earlier. Like, go live your life. Be happy. Don't hurt others in the process. And that, and that doesn't mean. Indeed. And a lot of people will take that as physically. That doesn't mean just physically. That means emotionally, and that means mentally. Don't hurt mentally. others. Spiritually, it's all the it's all the al al wise, not physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, none of that. You do you. You enjoy being you. Don't fuck with others, unless you see someone raping a kid or beating someone. Well, up, then, then you're defending someone. If you're defending someone, the rules are different. That that's just the that's just the fact of the matter. If you feel that if you're defending someone, the rules are different. But indeed. So we shall wind it up here, everybody. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thankfully, it's not mm-hmm. six hours like the last one. Um Continue to stay safe if you're an if you are an essential employee. Take your precautions. Six feet. Keep washing your hands. Uh, wear a mask, I guess, if you can. I tried doing that when I went out to do my shopping today, and 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 I'm saying this as someone who had to uh, wear all of my chemical gear in Kuwait and be locked in a uh, armored personnel vehicle for an hour one day um, the mask was a little mm. uncomfortable <laughs> you know as as someone who needs a second pair of eyes you have to adjust your glasses a certain way so you're not constantly getting fogged and I don't know it just kind of 
feels like you're slowly suffocating. Yeah, it, the masks just aren't comfortable, but we wear them because they may save someone's life. So. Right. Yeah, so, you know, again, six feet, wash your fucking hands. Every 90 minutes or like right now, my hands feel kind of icky and I want to go wash them, but I'm waiting to finish the podcast. And just be safe. Try to have a good rest of the weekend. Try to have a good week next week. And hopefully you'll be back to see us again on Saturday or whenever I put the podcast out next week. I feel basically the same way. Everyone continue having a good day. Continue having a good week and take care of yourselves out there. Be safe. Um, And we'll hopefully see you here again next time. And on that note, peace out. Later.